You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DNB Supply Show. Hey, this is your host, Matt Breckwald, and it is just great to be here with you. I hope you are all just loving the Western lifestyle that we all get to live out here in Idaho and Oregon. And, you know, today's episode is all about one aspect of living that particular lifestyle. We're going to be talking today with John Gunderson, who's coming to us from Lim Products. Now, Lim Products, they manufacture food processing equipment. And I am talking about everything you need to be a full-time, self-sufficient person with any meat you want to process and even more at your own house. Everything from grinding your own meat, cutting your own meat, slicing your own steaks or whatever it may be, to packaging, making sausage, stuffing sausage, everything, hamburger patties, anything that you can possibly think of is out there and available for you to do. But here's something I know from personal experience, and John touches on this in the episode as well, is that a lot of people, when they look at doing this themselves, they might think they want to do it themselves for the feeling of self-sufficiency or for the ability to know exactly how their food was processed, or just to make a recipe that they think will taste very, very good and and do it on their own. What stops people is being a little bit intimidated by the equipment or by never having cut up meat and done things like this before. But it's actually so much simpler and so much easier than you might think once you get started and once you do it. And once you get started and once you do it, the rewards of just looking into your freezer and seeing that it's stocked and you've got that food there ready to go and you did it yourself so much outweighs the learning curve of getting started and doing this, which is really very easy to do. So today in our episode, what we want to do is we want to talk about the tools. We want to touch on all the different tools, the different processes, and the reasons why you might want to do this yourself and hopefully open up a new chapter of your Western lifestyle so that you can enjoy the fruits of doing this on your own and kind of feel what it's like to be out here in the West and to be that self-sufficient person who can cut up their own meat, make their own recipes, their own sausage and everything else and really enjoy everything that the West has to offer out here for us. So we hope you love this episode and get just an absolute ton out of it. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Matt. Hey, you bet. I am excited about this episode. Whenever I go into a D&B supply, I sit in the aisle and I gaze at your products and I think about all the delicious things I can make. But uh, it's a really fun thing for us to do around our house and on our farm. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing it with other people. Fantastic. It's, a, it's something that actually gives back after you do it. That's exactly right. Well, here's how I'd like to start, John. If it's all right with you, could you just kind of introduce yourself to our audience really quick? Tell us a little bit about you, where you live and, and uh, what you do. Sure. I grew up in southeast Idaho. I live in Idaho Falls. I've been in the hunting, camping industry for 20 plus years. And on the side, that's my love. That's what I do. Um, what I do to make money is I, I sell a lot of these products. So I sell fun <laughs> to uh, all of our people out there. So I, I do all my own processing also. It brings a satisfaction to you to where you can take something from completeness right to your table, from the field to your table, doing it all alone and you know where it came from and how it was done. So yeah, be good to talk about that. Be fun. Well, that's kind of cool that you sell fun, but you absolutely do. And there's so much of it. I get to do a lot of processing of meat at home, both from hunting, but also from, from livestock we raise on our own place as well. And it, there really is a strong sense of 
of satisfaction there. And then as I'm looking through uh, your website with Lim, I mean, everything from the first cut of meat all the way to composting the byproducts. I mean, you guys cover it all. Absolutely. That's interesting. Um, everything comes out of necessity, right? You, you invent out of necessity or you do stuff out of necessity. And that's how this business was started mm-hmm. with Lamb. Lamb is actually the initials of the guy that started the company. Okay. It was uh, Larry Edgar Metz and they just made his initials and called it Lamb for products. But uh, Larry was a hunter and uh, his livelihood, his professional job was a butcher. So a meat cutter. And he would do his own processing of his, his game. Mm-hmm. And out of doing that, he, he decided that he wanted to start being able to let people do it. And that's how Lim started. He started developing products to get to the hunters so that they could process their own game. Yeah, that's awesome. When did this all start and, and, and kind of where? What part of the country? He started it in Ohio. And in 1991 is when he actually started the business as Lim. He sold his first products to retail in 1997. So he, he started doing products in 91 and kind of getting them out to just friends and family and mm-hmm. kind of direct marketing, I guess you could say, and then went to retail in 1997. Yeah. The company's still based out of Ohio. Mm-hmm. He sold it, so he no longer is running it, but it still is his roots and background. Well, what are you seeing in terms of today and over the, maybe the last couple of years? Are we seeing people do more of this processing, kind of this more of the self-reliance at home, or are we seeing it go down, or is it kind of just flatlined? This right now is a growing business. People are getting more self-sufficient, and they're becoming more interested in being self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the whole thing that keeps people out of doing this and away from it is they have a fear that they don't know, they don't want to mess it up and they don't know how to do it. Sure. And, and once they get over that fear and they see how simple it really can be, mm-hmm. then uh, they jump into it with two feet. They're ready to rock and roll once they get past that initial part. So perfect for us, it is growing. And I don't know why it is other than that. I think people are, are wanting to go more natural. They want to know where their food's coming from. And they like that sense of accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely. And in my world, what I tend to hear is there are people that they want to have more hands-on, know where that food's coming from. That's one thing. And there's just seems to be kind of this return to self-reliance, this return to working with your hands a little bit as our workplaces are air conditioned and we're, you know, we're sitting indoors and we're insulated from the environment and stuff like that. People want to be, they want to kind of go back a little bit, I think. Absolutely. And it, you feel better. It's more healthy for you. Yeah. So, Well, let's do this. I want to take a quick break. And then when we come back, let's kind of jump into what people can do in, in getting over that fear and that learning curve and all of that. Does that sound okay, John? Sure. Absolutely. No matter how cold it is, your dogs need water. So what do you do if it's freezing outside? Well, you could try teaching your pooches to build a campfire, or you can pick up a Farm Innovators heated pet bowl from D&B Supply. Farm Innovators heated pet bowls only come on when it's below freezing and feature anti-chew cords so Fido can't cut the power. And of course, they keep water from turning into ice on those super cold winter days. Farm Innovators Heated Pet Bowls, available at your favorite D&B Supply. When you're stuck out in the cold or want to cozy up in your off-the-grid cabin, a Honda generator gets you going. Stop by D&B Supply to pick up one of these power players. Quiet, lightweight, and fuel efficient, Honda generators make winter camping, ice fishing, and even power outages more bearable. Take on the elements in a way you can take anywhere. 
Get all fired up for anything the winter brings and grab a Honda generator at your neighborhood D&B. All right, John. Well, let's talk about this. So as we went out for break, we were kind of talking about people getting started and overcoming that fear of messing something up or something like that. If you were talking to a person right now, uh, and you are, by the way, because we're on the radio, and, and it's a person who would never cut up a piece of meat, but they wanted to try to butcher their own stuff for the first time, what would you tell them? How would you tell them to get started just to kind of take a baby step to get into it? Well, I'm under the assumption that if they want to cut up their own meat the first time, that they probably shot something, right? So if they can shoot and clean something and get it to the butcher to that point, uh-huh. then they're already through the worst part, right? So basically, as, as people are starting into this, everybody gets intimidated because you go to the grocery store and you see a nice T-bone steak sitting there or you see a ribeye sitting there and it looks so pretty and, and they don't know how to duplicate that. Well, you don't have to duplicate that. All you need to realize is, is when you're cutting an animal up is you, you follow the muscle structure Mm-hmm. And if it's sinewy or fatty or it looks like you don't want to eat it, cut it out. Don't eat it. And then remember to cut across the grain. So when you have a nice piece of uh, meat, and the more you do this, you're going to understand that which meats are the, the tender cuts, which ones are the rough cuts are going to be more tough to eat. And, mm-hmm. and you'll understand which ones to put into hamburger and which ones you make the better steaks. But, I mean, the, the simplest thing is is cut against the grain and separate your muscle groups. And if you feel like you messed it up, it still goes into hamburger and it's great. Realize the more clean you make it, the better it's going to taste. These grinders will grind anything pretty much. So you can, you can put some pretty sinewy rough meat through them mm-hmm. and it'll grind them without a problem, but it will affect your taste. So the more sinew you can take out, the more silver side, the more connective tissue, the better off your final product will be. And those are questions I've always got when we're doing stuff at home. So we just did a pig just a couple weeks ago, and and we did it from, well, I mean, on our place, it was from start to finish. It was born here, and uh, it is now sausage in our freezer. So we did all of that. But I've always got questions about that, too, because as you're you're butchering a large animal like that, and you've got all the sinew and the the silver skin and all that type of stuff, uh, it becomes kind of arduous. And so you're sitting there going, well, how much of this can I keep in? how much of it do I need to cut out? But uh, it all goes to the taste then. Correct. The more, and if it's a wild animal, it affects it more. In domestic animals, you can get away with having more sinew and more stuff in it. Mm-hmm. But in a wild in a wild animal, it'll give it more of that wild taste. Now let's talk about that person who's not a hunter, but they have an interest in doing this themselves. Maybe they want to go down to uh, you know a supply uh, meat supply a butcher or or something like that and buy something just in bulk and try it themselves. They want to do homemade sausage or they want to they want to try butchering something themselves. What would be an easy first thing for them to start with? Something that's extremely simple that's good is, is uh, some people do what's called a Swedish meatball or something, and, and basically what it is is it's a pork mixed with a, uh, a beef. Mm-hmm. So what you can do is you can go buy a, you know, a round, a top round roast or some pork, and you figure out your ratio of pork to beef, whether it's a 30 to 70, 30% to 70, or whatever you want to do. Well, you grind it in your grinder just like you would anything else, but you already got clean meat. Mm-hmm. So you can grind beef and pork together add your Swedish meatball seasoning to it, mix it, make it into meatballs, and you got a pork, beef, Swedish meatball ready to rock and roll. I know a lot of people also who prefer to, you know, you can go to the store and you can buy a 10% hamburger, or laying 20% hamburger, 
whichever. I, I know some people that like really lean burger and they want to do their own burger. So mm-hmm. they'll both go and they'll, they'll pick up uh cryovac bulk meat from Costco or wherever. Mm-hmm. And they'll sep they'll separate it out and grind it at their own hamburger. Sure. Just so that they can control it. So, so they know exactly what uh percent of fat's going in with it. And they're getting top notch premium hamburger instead of when you get store hamburger, you're getting the rough cuts. You're getting what's left over mm-hmm. after they've made the roast cuts and your steak cuts. Mm-hmm. So they get a better product by doing it themselves that way. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The first time that we ever made sausage and we stuffed it into casings, and we'll, we'll talk about casings and stuff like that coming up, I was intimidated by it. I was afraid I was going to mess it up. But then once we once we went through the grinding, the mixing, the adding of seasonings and all of that, what I realized was anybody who's ever made a meatloaf has essentially made a sausage. It's just that we stuffed it into a casing and a meatloaf, you just bake it up in a pan. Absolutely. It's interesting. So part of Lim's product is called backwood seasoning. Mm -hmm. And if you go into D&B supply, there's a wall of it. They do a fantastic job of keeping in stock in the seasonings. And if you, if you take one of our packages and you look at it, it says for five pounds of meat. And if you take, say, for example, you're doing a summer sausage or you're doing a breakfast Italian sausage and you take both those off, they're both for five pounds of meat. But if you flip the package around and you look at the ounces of seasoning that's in the package, mm-hmm. they're going to be different. You'll have a different ounce for the summer sausages than you will for a breakfast sausage because they are down to the pound of seasoning that you want to use. I mean, it is pretty scientific on how they do it. It's not just a a lump of seasoning thrown in there. And Mm -hmm. then they say, go for five pounds. It is measured out for each flavor for the five pound mark. And what people don't understand is, is if you're making hamburger and you're grinding hamburger, well, you can make summer sausage. You can make breakfast sausage. You're there. You've done it. You can do anything you want now. You can make jerky. So the only difference is, is the type of seasoning you add to it. Right. And then your mix of how much fat you put with it. Your sausages are generally a 20% to 80% ratio, where a hamburger is generally a 10%. And I personally, I, I prefer in all my sausages pork fat, mm-hmm. um, but you can do it with you can do it with beef fat. I just prefer pork. And then uh, talking about the stuff, I'm going to go right into your stuffings. Yeah. So once you do that, on our seasonings, it's very simple. It, it tells you exactly how to mix it, exactly what to do. And you hand mix your seasonings in the meat. And once it's mixed together, you can run it through a stuffer and you stuff into your casings. Well, in casings, people are, it's, it comes out pretty, right? It looks neat when it's done. So it's, that's why it's intimidating, but it's so simple to do. It is. And you've got uh, synthetic casings and you have natural casings, which are synthetic casings are actually natural. They're just made man-made. Right. And they're made out of, uh, they're made of beef protein and then they smoke it. Mm Mm-hmm. So the difference in what you get is, is you get a more uniform uh, looking product when it's done. They're a little bit more tough, so they don't break quite as easy. Mm-hmm. My wife is extremely food sensitive and, and picky, mm-hmm. and she'll still cut the casing off before she cooks it. Okay. <laughs> even, though it is ed- even though it is edible, she'll cut it off and strip it off and then cook it because she doesn't want to eat anything that's been, that she considers processed. And then you go to a natural casing and it's, you can get sheep gut, pig gut. Mm-hmm. And the difference is, is, is now you're, you're not really uniform and it's their gut and it's processed in like a salt solution. Right. So it cures it and that's how it comes. It comes wet in the bag and then you, you stuff it the exact same way as you would a synthetic casing. But the difference is, is you know, you're not a perfect round cylinder. It's going to have different variations in the thickness. 
and they do break easier. Mm-hmm. I found with certain items, hot dogs and bratwurst and certain things, they do seem to have a little more flavor and taste a little better. It, it's really just personal preference on what people like. And it is a little harder to use the natural casings. They're slippery. They break easier. There's kind of a finesse you have to do with them when you run them through your stuffer, but, mm-hmm. and but when it's still simple. And when you're using natural casings like that, uh, sheep or or pigs or whatever, uh, it de- kind of depends on the size of what you're making, right? Like we did some bratwurst recently. We used pig casings. Uh, but if we wanted to do smaller diameter snack sticks, we'd probably use sheep or something like that. True. Yes, absolutely. And since you've done it, you know how frustrating it can be finding those things and threading them onto your, uh-huh. your stuffing tube. They're slippery. It's hard to find the end of them, how they come packaged. We actually, this last year, we packaged them with a large toothpick. If you could picture a large toothpick through the center of them, so they're already separated. So you just basically poke the toothpick in your stuffy tube and slide the whole thing onto it. Oh, that's very nice. And you don't have to search for the end. <laughs> yeah, that's very nice if, of you. If, yeah, if people have done it and they're, they understand what I'm talking about, uh-huh. you'll pay an extra $10, $20 not to have to do that. <laughs> it's It was uh, well needed. Well, let's take another quick break, and then when we come back, I want to talk about equipment. I mean, we're talking all about why people should do it and actually how easy it really is once you get over that fear. Let's talk about what you need to get it done when we come back, okay? Okay. Know when they say good fences make good neighbors? When you've got Bayland Country gates and panels to really fence your livestock in. Also, when you let your neighbor in on the great deals you can find on Bayland Country at D&B. Made from steel and designed for stamina. Bayland Country gates and panels are tested to match up to robust ranch life. So instead of mending all those fences, round up a whole new one with Bayland Country at D&B Supply. For work, play, or a little bit of both this winter, stop by D&B Supply for Wrangler gear. From flannel line jeans to stylish shirts and jackets, fit for the field or a night out, Wrangler has you covered. Established in 1947 with the spirit of courageous individuality, Wrangler apparel is designed to last and look good to boot. With new styles and great fits, it's clothing that wears well no matter what the season or what life throws at it. So stop by your favorite D&B and get covered this winter in Wrangler gear. All right, John, so as we went out, I mean, we're talking about all the reasons to do this, and there's a million reasons people should be doing this. I mean, there is, there's knowing where your food's coming from, knowing how it's processed, and just the sense of accomplishment you have when you finish doing something like this, and you can look in your freezer, and you can see the work you've just done and know that you've got all this food put aside. But let's shift now to talking about the equipment, because there is equipment that's needed to do all of this. Uh, In this day and age, we've got it available to us, and it it makes sense. And I wanted to start off by asking you, what types of materials, we'll talk about limb equipment specifically, but your materials, your equipment for processing food and and meat like this, what kind of uh, materials is it made out of? So in limb, there's a huge, huge variety of product from opening price point all the way to commercial product that would go into say a grocery store and they'd be using in their deli. Mm -hmm. So when you start off your opening price point product, it's a lot of plastics and polymers. Mm -hmm. Um, They're cheaper to work with and not as expensive and they don't run as much product. It'd be what we call a hobby type person, someone who wants to use a grinder for maybe putting out just a little bit of hamburger here and there, but not really for a whole but a bunch of processing. Mm-hmm. Then you get into our big bite series and, and it goes into stainless steel, metal gears and um, polymer gaskets, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. 
and more heavy duty. The engines in them are more heavy duty, more horsepower. The gears are all bigger and heavier duty. If someone hasn't picked up a good grinder, they're heavy. Yeah. Um, we go all the way from, I think, half horse to one and a half horse in our grinders. Actually, we have a 0.35 horsepower too. So when you're looking at doing this, what I would decide, the person has to basically make a decision, okay, how often am I going to use this? And what other things can I use it for to justify the cost probably? Mm -hmm. But what people don't understand, and this goes back to the fear factors, people look at it and then all of a sudden they're just like, I just don't want to deal with it. I'm scared of jumping in and trying it. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people are paying upwards of 250 to $350 to process an animal, depending on how they're having it done. You process two animals, you can buy a grinder that's going to last you for life and you can run all sorts of stuff through it. That would put you in one of our big bite grinders, like a number 12, three quarter horsepower for just under $400. And what I found is what a lot of people are doing is, is groups of these guys, a lot of people hunt together. They, they've hunted together for years and they'll go in together and they'll buy a grinder. And then at the end of the season, they'll come in and they'll all get together and they'll make a little party and they'll process their stuff together. Mm-hmm. They'll all meet up at someone's garage or someone's shop and they'll process all their stuff together. So it becomes an extension to the hunt almost, which is kind of cool. Yeah. You know, for somebody to do a lamb or to do a deer or an elk or uh, whatever it may be, really what they need is uh, they need to be able to grind it. They need to be able to stuff sausage and they need to be able to preserve it and they need to be able to cut stuff up. So there's a couple pieces of equipment, then some tools, and really you're well on your way. I mean, it doesn't have to be the super ultra complex thing. No, not at all. In fact, I'll give you an example. I kind of added a piece every year and you start, obviously you start with the grinder and it's because that's going to get you your hamburger. Well, now the next year I was like, I want to start doing my own sausages and I added a sausage stuffer. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I was like, okay, well, I, instead of just doing stuff in my oven and dehydrating stuff, I wanted to smoke now. So I added a smoker and now I do some smoking too. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and everybody seems to love bacon. You can put bacon on anything and everything and it tastes good, right? Right. I figured out a way and we make a bacon cure and a bacon seasoning, how you can make your own bacon out of deer, elk or whatever. And it's pretty cool. Really? It's so if you grind your own hamburger, you're already there. You basically, you take our bacon seasoning, which you can get in five pound packages. So grind you up five pounds worth of meat, mm-hmm. do a 20% fat mixture with it, add our bacon seasoning. It's a dry rub for five pounds, mix it in good and take a nine by 12 cake pan and pack it into the bottom of that cake pan. So it's an inch deep, inch to an inch and a half deep, as hard as you can pack it down Okay. and then take that and smoke it. And after you smoke it, you pop it out and you've got a big one and a half inch piece of meat with bacon seasoning smoked. And then you uh, thin slice it through our slicer uh-huh. and then sucker seal it. Now, when you take it out, you just flash fry it and there's your bacon. It's already pre-sliced, smoked. When I smoke it, I don't smoke it till it's cooked all the way. I flash fry it at the end for the final cook uh-huh. and you have bacon. Wow. So and, uh, extremely simple. So you smoke it in the pan still when you put it in the smoker? Yes. You can take a PAM nonstick uh, spray, like an olive oil spray, and just spray your pan really quickly, lightly with it before you pack it in. Mm-hmm. So after you smoke it, it, you flip it over, it pops out really easily. What you're doing with the smoking is your number one smoking processes, the meat uh, process isn't the right word. It uh, cures it. As you smoke it, it cures it too. Mm-hmm. And it adds flavor. It adds flavor. 
So you smoke it so it gets it so it's solid enough so it stays together. So when you flip it out, it's one solid chunk of meat, and then you run it through your slicer and you thin slice it to your bacon strips. Then you pack it, sucker seal it. Fascinating. So you don't have to chill that meat before you slice it. It holds together good enough to run it through the slicer at that point. Yeah, it depends on how long you smoke it and how hard you packed it in. Okay. If it's not running through good, you don't want to come right from the smoker and go right into the slicer because then it is too warm. You got to let it get. Uh, to where the fat in there is solid. Okay. And once it's cooled off enough to where your fat's solid, it slices through good. I've never thought of that, but that that is a fantastic way of doing that. And then how does it taste compared to pork bacon? It has a different texture because it is ground. Uh-huh. I mean, it's not 100% taste. I think, think it's between like a turkey bacon and a pork bacon taste. Okay. Really cool. But it's bacon. <laughs> that's right it is that is a, such a great tip that's awesome john all right let's take another yeah. break when we come back i want to ask you about some of the moving parts with with pieces of equipment as we ask adam on okay Sure. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at DMB Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians. Turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop by your favorite DMB supply. If you've got a beef with your current livestock equipment, Powder River handling products can change the game. Stop by DNB Supply to bring your herd upright. For over 80 years, Powder River has stood out as leaders in the livestock handling field. With continuous equipment innovation, their gear helps you work up close with your livestock safely and with minimal stress. Get a better handle on things around the ranch and stop by DNB Supply for Powder River livestock equipment. Well, John, now that we're back, you know, I had a thought before we went to break. I wanted to, I wanted to run by you, but for people who are kind of incrementally adding equipment or maybe they're a little bit intimidated by stuff, for folks who want to make sausage, if they don't have a stuffer yet, that shouldn't stop them. They can actually uh, vacuum seal or, or loose package sausage too and just do it in bulk, right? Absolutely. In fact, you can do breakfast sausage and then you can just wrap it in, in your meat wrapping paper, just like you would hamburger. Mm -hmm. And as you take it out to cook it, just thaw it and mash it into your patties and have sausage patties. In fact, when I'm doing sausage at the end, you always have a little bit left over when you're stuffing that won't go into the tube. And I, I just mash it into a patty and fry it up right there and give it a sample. That is probably my favorite part of the days we make sausage. We've got this old German sausage recipe we do, and we always put it all together, but then we'll fry up a couple patties just to sample it and make sure it's right, and that is just that is a delight. Yes, absolutely. Well, let me ask you about the equipment really quick. So, I mean, when we're talking about stuffers, we're talking about grinders, uh, we've got other things, tenderizers, all these different things that have uh, some moving parts. We've got to keep those moving parts in good working order, and, and they require some form of lubrication and protection. How can we do that when they're coming into contact or they're in close proximity to our meat without contaminating the food products we're making? We sell a, it's a silicone food grade lubricant. So basically you can eat it and it's, it's food grade. So it's not going to hurt you. Another way to do it is just, uh, an olive oil spray, like a Pam olive oil spray is good. Okay. We don't recommend you crack into our uh, equipment. So for example, a grinder it's enclosed. We don't recommend you crack into there to lubricate the gears and stuff, mm -hmm. but 
Also, you have uh, polymer bushings that are put into friction points, and they're designed to wear down and wear out. And then we just provide extra polymer bushings. Or um, if you call in and say, hey, my polymer bushings wore out, they usually just send one out to you. Okay. So those keep the, you know, the friction points from metal to metal. So it's it, it's a simple process. They all break down fairly fairly easy. And when you break it down, it's just to wash it in a dish soap, warm water. And then the hardest part is there's a lot of nooks and crannies and stuff right. and tubes to get down to. You know, we have brushes and different things that we also sell for cleaning, little cleaning kits that brushes that will go into those nooks and crannies and tubes to get stuff out. And then a lot of this stuff gets packed away for quite a while mm-hmm. without use. You're not using it regularly. So it's important to make sure you get it good and dry uh, before you send it back to the box for six months so yeah. it doesn't rust. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about cleaning. So just dish soap and, and warm water, is there anything we should not be using to clean these, uh, you know, that we have just sitting around the house we clean dishes with? Not that I can think of that's sitting around your house. It should be fine. Just a okay. standard dish detergent and warm water. Don't overdo it. I mean, don't <laughs> overdo it. Don't don't start putting a lot of harsh chemicals on it, I'd right. say. Okay. So just hot water and dish soap, we should be all right as long as we get it clean. Yep. Okay. Now, I wanted to selfishly ask you about meat slicers. We talked a little bit off the air about this, but I'm always curious about that. Uh, When it comes to a meat slicer, which is the next piece of equipment I want to add to what I have here at home, those blades, do do we have to sharpen those over time? Do we replace them? What do we do about those as we we get some use on those blades? I personally don't sharpen them. I just replace them. Okay. Uh, You could, I guess, but I'm not that patient. (laughs) And... Yeah, it's a pain in the butt. So I personally, I just replace it. They last for quite some time. Take good care of them. Usually the slicers come with two blades. They come with a a straight edge and a serrated edge. One's for cutting hard cheeses and hard salamis and harder things. And one's for, you know, coming through your softer meats. But uh, uh, when you're talking about slicers, there's one where it's a direct piston ran to the motor and goes right to the blade. Those are generally your lower end less expensive slicers. Mm-hmm. Then you have some who have a motor that goes to a gear that goes to a, a rubber belt and then the belt drives the blade. It's a belt driven. That's what you're going to find in your delis and in your higher end places. Those are a little bit more money and they provide more torque. They cut through harder stuff better. Plus they, they're easier to maintain and you don't burn up the motors on them is a big thing because the belt creates a buffer to where you can create more torque on the blade. Mm -hmm. And if you're really, really stressing and stressing it a bunch, the belt will slip instead of just going Mm -hmm. right directly into the motor and burning up a motor. Same way vacuum cleaners run. They run on a belt. If it gets jammed, the belt burns up. The motor doesn't. You just replace the belt. So it's the same way on these slicers. All right. One last break. When we come back, we've got to to park on on preserving food for a minute, kind of the last step in the process. Know what boots work as hard as you do? Georgia Boots, available to try on for size at D&B Supply. If you're on your feet all day, Georgia Boots knows the feeling. That's why they've designed exclusive comfort systems that cushion and support down to the bottom of your soles. While on the surface, they shield you from tough conditions with one of the most durable leathers out there. See why they earned the nickname of America's Hardest Working Boots and pick up a pair of Georgia Boots at your favorite D&B Supply. After a long day on your feet, nothing feels better than slipping into some Twisted X moccasins. So pick up a pair at D&B Supply. 
These aren't your ordinary shoes. With roots in Western boots, Twisted X creates handcrafted, comfortable moccasins that stand out from the pack. They capture the spirit of the American West from the design down to the soles. Find your new favorite comfort shoes with a pair of Twisted X moccasins available at your favorite D&B supply. All right, John. Well, I want to talk about preserving food and, and storing it after we get all of this work done, because there is quite a bit of work that goes into this. And by the way, I could talk to you about this for about three hours easy, because I've got a million questions from doing it on my own. But in the interest of time, I want to jump into preserving. So can we start with cures? Can you explain cures a little bit to everybody really quick? And then we'll talk about uh, what to package food in after that. Sure. I wish I could tell you scientifically how cures work. I I don't really know. But what it does is it slows the process of how organisms break down meat or break down the solids of your food. And all of our packets that we sell, our seasonings, we have two types. You have a fresh sausage, you have a summer sausage. So some of them are fresh where there's no cooking, there's no cure at all. Mm -hmm. They're not going to last as long. They need to immediately be frozen. And then we have some that have cures in them, such as a summer sausage. And basically, you mix that cure in with your seasoning. It mixes in with the meat. And what it does is it slows down the process of that meat breaking itself down. Rotting is basically what it's going to do. It's going to slow that process down. So it slows down all the enzymes that bust it down and break it down. And even if I do a, a, a summer sausage, which is a cured meat, or I do jerky that's cured, mm-hmm. I still will freeze it. Yeah. Or I'll throw it in the fridge because... I mean, you freeze that stuff, it lasts indefinitely. The only thing that is going to go wrong with it is it's going to get uh, very dry. Yeah. The longer it's in there, um, it's not going to hold its moisture. But on your fresh stuff, make sure that you get it refrigerated or frozen because it's not. it does not have any cure in it. So it will break down. It will go bad quicker. Now, you mentioned jerky. Uh, what is your preference, uh, sliced or ground? Sliced all the way. <laughs> okay. Ground jerky is very popular with food processing plants because it can be done by the pound easily. Uh-huh. And it's 90% of it's probably not your animal you're getting back. It's just, they just do it by weight. Uh-huh. So it comes out of a hopper and it's easy to do. They can say, okay, he gave us this much. He's going to get this much out and they just do it by weight. It's uniform. It's easy to pack. But other than that, the product is not nearly as good as sliced. Mm-hmm. Um, sliced jerky, you're getting better cuts of meat. And when you're doing your jerky, if you're slicing it, make sure you're slicing against the grain. It makes it extremely uh, tender and easy to chew. Okay. If you slice it with the grain, you're going to be one of them guys pulling out your teeth, trying to <laughs> tear it apart. So. And so you've mentioned that a few times, cutting against the grain. So basically, when you're looking down at a piece of meat, you're going to see parallel lines, and that's the grain, right? And you want to cut Correct. at a 90-degree angle to those. Correct. Absolutely right. Now, you will have some muscles that where you have two different muscles meeting in a piece of meat sometimes. Those grains get skewed and weird. Mm-hmm. That's hamburger. Got That's it. That's where you get away from it and go to hamburger. If it's a good, nice parallel line mm-hmm. and it's running one direction for a long distance, that's where you make your steaks. And as you cut it, if it feels gritty when you're cutting down through it, it's going to be a tough steak. If it's cutting very smooth like butter, mm-hmm. that's going to be a tender steak. Interesting. Okay. And since we're, since we're talking about curing and stuff like that too, yeah. you know, people say, well, I, I, you got to hang it for so long. You got to hang it for this long because of the way I hunt and the way my meat comes out of the woods. A lot of it's already cut up when it comes out. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't hang my stuff or process it that way. I just go right to cutting it up. 
But understand that the longer you hang it, you're starting the breakdown process that it's going to start basically the process of enzymes are starting to decay that meat and make it go bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's where you're going to get tender. If you can't hang your meat and you can hang it at a 38 degrees, 38 to 42 degrees is optimum and you can hang it for a week, it's going to make it more tender okay. for sure. Great tip. I love that tip on cutting through the meat and if it feels grisly. So if you're cutting through yep. a, you're cutting through a piece and you intended it to be a steak, but it, it, it feels that way, that might just be a chunk you just throw into the grinder then. Sure. And to, so you can feel this, take a back strap and cut through a back strap to make a steak mm-hmm. and then take, um, it'd be like, a, I don't know what it's called, a chuck roast out of the butt. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a lot bigger striations in the lines that you're going to be cutting through mm-hmm. and cut through one of those. And you'll feel the difference when you go through a back strap. It's very, very smooth and quick through it. The other one, it's, it's more gritty as you cut through it. Yeah. And as you start cutting, the more you cut, you'll start feeling that and you'll be able to tell, Oh, this one's going burger. This one's going steak. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. And I mean, these are things for people who have never done it. They're, they're going backstrap. What are you talking about? But the first time you do it, it just, it'll click. It makes, it makes a ton of sense. It absolutely does. So we've got all this done. We've got steaks cut. We've got sausage made. We've made some hamburger patties and, and all this type of stuff. Now, what do we do to be able to keep that meat tasting as good as possible, even if it's going to sit in our freezer for a month, two, three, four months? Okay. So the secret to keeping meat fresh is getting the oxygen out of it, right? So personally with my family with hamburger, we eat hamburger quite a bit. So I wrap it in paper. It's a waxed, it's a butcher's paper. So it's got okay. wax on one side and it's a thick paper on the other side. And you got to learn how to wrap it to where you're pulling the air out of it and you're getting it really tight. So here's another secret when you're doing hamburger. I use cake pans again. Mm-hmm. I get a deep cake pan. I, I grind it right into that cake pan and my kids mash it down into that cake pan as hard as they can to get it. So it's solid. There's no oxygen in between it. Then we flip it over. And you can cut it into quarters or eighths, depending on if you want two pound packs or one pound packs. Okay. And then it's already made into its nice little square and then you wrap it. So I'm pushing the oxygen out and I'm getting it compacted into that cake pan before I even put it on the wrapping paper. So it's not the, the wrapping process that's pulling the air out. It's, it's the prep of the meat before you even put it in the paper. Correct. And then we also sell uh, stuff bags. You'll see a lot of processors use the plastic round stuff bags. They're white. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to get the the oxygen out of it too. You can run those and you can actually run them right off your grinder. It's a little bit of an art to do it, but we can run those. Mm -hmm. And then when you go into your sausages, your jerkies, if it's not in a casing, you can still put your sausages in that that butcher paper, just like I talked about. Right. If you're doing it in a casing, I like to put it in vacuum seal bags and vacuum seal it. And I run my sausages and all my jerky into sucker sealer and, and seal them in bags. And I mean, obviously, if you've never run one of those, the first thing it does is it it's pulling all that oxygen out of the bag. Correct. So for the for the and ma- you can, yeah, everybody's familiar with food saver. It's yeah. a food saver, basically. I will tell you, our limb bags are thicker. We're a little bit more commercial grade in our bags. They're mm-hmm. half a mil thicker than the food saver bags. So if you're sealing fish or even if you're sealing jerky and it's got it got dried on the end and it's a little sharp on one end, it'll poke through those bags. Sometimes our yeah. bags don't poke through as easy, so you keep the seal. And then we have a cool bag. See if I can describe it so you can picture it. It's got a Ziploc on one top and the bottom of it's open. Okay. And it's a liter bag. Or you can get a pint, liter, gallon, however you want to buy it. 
and you put your jerky in it and then you seal the bottom of it. And then when you're ready to, to eat your jerky, just pull the top open, open the Ziploc, and then it's a Ziploc bag. You can reseal it, reseal it, reseal it. Oh, that's awesome. Where all of your other sucker seal bags, once you open them, there's no way to reseal them. So people generally take them and dump them into a Ziploc and then the bag's no good anymore. Yeah. Where this bag, you can open it, seal it, open it, seal it, open it, seal it. It's very cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. That's brilliant thinking. Well, I, geez, we didn't even have time to get to all the different resources that you offer at LIM. But for, for anybody who's considering this, as I was looking through your website, you guys have, it seems like a book for everything, a ton of resources. Yes. I mean, there's how-to videos on everything too. I mean, if you are all scared about doing this, just we have how-to videos all over the place on where to start, how to do it. And it takes you through it from first to finish. So John, for people who want more information, they want to learn more about this, where can they go to, to find out more? Limproducts.com and just start checking stuff out through there. It's going to go through every part of it. You can basically find anything you need to there. Well, thank you so much for the time today and all the great information. I loved it. You bet. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle however you define it. For the D&B Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.